Good morning. Today is Thursday, March 17th, 2022. Happy Purim. What I'd like to share with you this morning is based on a sheer lecture that was given by Rabbi Aaron Lichtenstein of blessed memory a number of years ago. The Megillah, Megillah's Esther, the book of Esther, is the story of what happened to the Jewish people at that time. And it's also Esther's story. I pointed this out earlier this week. We don't refer to it as the book of Purim or the book of Shushan, but the book of Esther. And so the Megillah operates on these two levels simultaneously. We are to pay attention to the narrative that affects the entire Jewish people. And we are to pay attention to Esther herself as an individual, her character, her growth, and her development. When we learn Esther's story, there is a dramatic, clear shift and growth in her character. Esther, at the beginning of the Megillah, is not the same Esther at the end. And that's the story that Esther wants us to learn. She wants us to learn her story and apply it to our lives. At the beginning of the Megillah, we learn that Esther is beautiful. She lacks power, initiative, independence. She has none of those things. All of the verbs, notice this, all of the verbs used in connection with Esther at the beginning of the work are in the passive form. Batilakach Esther. And Esther was taken. That characterizes her personality that we meet at the opening of this work. No one knows her identity. When she finally comes to the home of Ahasuerus, preparing to meet him, lo bikshu davar, she doesn't ask for anything. She's natural. She's innocent. She does whatever someone else tells her to do. And then we meet a completely different woman. Esther displays an initiative that we never would have expected from her. She figures out a strategy. She leads Haman into a trap. She manipulates Ahasuerus. She displays courage and confidence. She becomes a personality. She becomes the leader, overshadowing Mordechai. At the beginning of the work, Mordechai is instructing her. And by the end of the work, she is instructing Mordechai. And Mordechai is listening to her, not the other way around. Esther writes the Megillah. It is her story. She is the one who instructs that her story and this holiday should be marked and celebrated for all time. What happened? What changed? Rabbi Lichtenstein explains 
that it happens in one key verse. One Pusik is the key to the whole story. When Haman's decree is made known, Jews everywhere react. When Esther hears about it, she is very distressed. And the queen was exceedingly distressed to hear this noon that this news that Haman had convinced Ahasuerus to agree to destroying the entire Jewish people. But consistent with her personality in the first half of the story, Esther feels powerless to do anything about it. Mordechai tells her what she should do, but she resists. She remains passive. And then Mordechai sends her a message. A message of criticism. A harsh message. The kind of message that you could only send to someone that you know very well, because otherwise it's the kind of message that could crush a person's spirit. Now, we might have expected Mordechai's criticism to be to Esther, Esther, don't be so weak. Don't be so timid. So what if it's dangerous to go to the king without being invited? You have to overcome your shyness. You have to overcome your fear. Now is the time to be bold. Now, of course, if that is what Mordechai would have said to Esther, it puts Esther into a partially positive light because her inaction, though cowardly, though overly timid, it's part of her intrinsic nature. She would be able to defend herself against Mordechai's criticism by saying, but I am weak. Nothing in my life has prepared me to act with such boldness like you expect of me now. And then she will either rise to the occasion or not. Martin Luther King once said, if a man is 36 years old, as I happen to be, and some great truth stands before the door of his life, and he refuses to stand up because he wants to live a little longer, and he's afraid that his home will get bombed, or he's afraid that he will lose his job, he's afraid that he will get shot or beaten down by state troopers, he may go on and live until he's 80, but he's just as dead at 36 as he would be at 80. And the stopping of breathing in his life at 80 is merely the announcement of an earlier death of the spirit. Martin Luther King was bold. He was courageous. Mordechai accuses Esther of lacking that. But that's not what Mordechai says. Because what he actually says to Esther puts Esther potentially in a much more negative light. 
He says to Esther as follows. Mordechai sends a message back to Esther. You imagine that you're going to be able to escape in the king's palace any more than any of the rest of the Jews? Don't imagine such a thing. Because if you remain silent at this moment, there will be another savior of the Jewish people. There will be some other way that God arranges behind the scenes for the Jewish people to be saved. But you and your family will be lost. And who knows? Perhaps the reason that you became queen is precisely for this moment. Mordechai accuses Esther of believing that even if the Jewish people will be destroyed by Haman, she will be saved because of her position as queen. And he says to her, it's not true. But the criticism, the accusation, is that Esther is reluctant to take action, not because she's weak, or shy, but because she is apathetic, because she does not care enough about the entirety of the Jewish people. He says to her, and keep in mind, he knows her better than anyone else. He says to her, you think this doesn't affect you personally? You think that you personally are not in danger? that the danger is only happening to someone else. And that's why you're not desperate to approach the king, even if it's dangerous. That's why you follow the etiquette and the protocol of the court about how to approach the king and when not to approach the king. But if you really cared about Claudius Yisrael, about every single Jewish person whose life is in danger at this moment, if you treated the danger to other Jews like it was a danger to yourself personally, you wouldn't worry about protocol. You wouldn't worry about etiquette. It's only because you personally feel safe. That's why you say there's nothing to do. It is a frightening, powerful accusation. Because in essence, what Mordechai is saying to Esther is that this moment, Esther, is your test, not of your boldness, but of your concern for your fellow Jews. And the test is one simple question. Do I care enough? Or don't I? Now, what is absolutely amazing in the face of that challenge, that criticism, is how at that very moment, Esther rises to her full height and becomes Esther Hamalka, Esther the Queen. As the Megillah says, Vatilbash Esther Malchus, 
Esther dressed herself in royalty. Royalty is not a garment. It doesn't refer to her clothing. She dressed herself in her resolve, in her bearing, in her sense of mission at that moment. Because at that moment she realizes that her life is not just a personal matter. It's intimately bound up with the lives of every single Jewish person whose life is in danger. And once she finds within herself the will, then she finds the way to achieve it. And she says to Mordechai, Lech kenosis kol hayyehudim. Go and gather all of the Jews. What does she mean by that? It's not just a strategy to gain God's invisible favor through fasting and prayer, although certainly it is that. But it's also a response to Mordechai's accusation. Lech kenosis kol hayyudim, go and gather all of the Jews together because their danger is my danger. The danger of any one of them is my personal danger. And that's the moment when Esther takes over. When it becomes Esther's story. That's the moment when all of the other elements of her plan start to come into place. She manipulates Ahasuerus. She stands up to Haman. She takes the lead in establishing Purim as a holiday. As a holiday for us to review her story. Her personal growth. And this explains another question which we discussed earlier this week and I shared a different approach. But here's a second approach. The mitzvahs that we fulfill on Purim make sense within the narrative of the Purim story by telling the story, reading the Megillah, and by celebrating at a festive meal today. That's obvious. But the other two mitzvahs today, Shalach Manos, to send gifts of food to our friends, Matanos Levyonim, to give gifts of money to those who are in need, those are also mitzvahs of today, but they don't have any basis in the narrative. They don't connect to the story in any way. But the point is, Esther wants Mordechai's challenge to her directed to every one of us every year in every generation. Problems surround us. People in need surround us. If we are honest with ourselves, we have to ask the same question that Esther faced. 
how much of our inaction is based on weakness, timidity, lack of certainty in how to proceed, or how much of it is really based on apathy. We just don't care enough. Because if we really care enough, the lack of certainty, the lack of expertise will not be an obstacle. Our response today to the needs around us, like Esther, must be lech kenos es yehudim. Let's gather together all of the Jews. Let's act on our connection to every single Jew to help everyone who is needy, to gladden every heart that is broken. Because these mitzvos, shalachmanos and matanos levyonim, they're not part of the narrative. They are rather the essence of the solution to see and to act on the connectedness we have to every single Jew. That is how Esther saved the Jewish people and saved herself by realizing that and putting that into action. And that is what Esther wants us to learn from her story. Because how she did it is how we can do it. My friends, I want to wish you a great day and a very joyous, happy Purim. And I look forward to seeing all of you soon in person.